This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 6.08, no, it's 6 a.m. I'm sorry, it's 6 a.m. on the 8th of June, a Wednesday. It is the middle of the week, a hump day, as some people like to call it. I'm Shazana Mokhtar in studio today with Wang Xiaoning. Good morning. I was wondering where the extra eight minutes came from, Shaz. <laughs> I was like, why is it 6.08? We I, start 6 every morning on the dot. I travelled into into time, into the future, eight minutes into the future, where we have lots of interesting conversations <laughs> lined up for you all throughout the morning. Uh, beginning at 7.15 today, we're going to be discussing rumoured political machinations with political analyst Dr. James Chin from the University of Tasmania. There are lots of murmurings, rumblings going on, so we're going to catch up with James on what are the political uh, updates that we should be aware of. Yeah, from almost every political party, right? I think that's what's interesting. Uh, meanwhile, at 7.30, we're going to look at private equity trends in Southeast Asia. Uh, amidst this environment of rising interest rates with Tom Kitt of Bain & Co. And even at 7.45, I think we've got another interesting story, which is all about corruption and why we should continuously pay attention to it. What are the consequences of it? And whether in the first place, having amnesty is a good idea. And that's going to be a conversation with Ira Azahari of Ideas. So, this, and that's at 7.45. This has been um, percolating in public debate uh, following the comments by Tansri Nazir Raza at a recent event where he suggested that perhaps giving amnesty for malt corruption could be something to consider. Mm. Uh, our friends at Evening Edition yesterday spoke about this with Cynthia Gabriel of the C4 uh, Civil Society. And we're we're going to be continuing that discussion today. Later on at 8.30, we're going to be analysing the chances of UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson holding on to his post after he survived a confidence vote on Monday. What does this mean for Bojo? Can he outlast um, any internal rumblings happening within the Conservative Party? We'll be speaking with Dr. Ben Wellings of Monash University on this. Yeah, we should start placing bets as to how long he can last. I'm sure we could start a pool <laughs> in the office, yes. And who could be the possible contenders to take over? It, their their leadership uh, issue sounds a lot like ours in the sense there isn't really a clear. Did they uh, learn definitive... from us, or do we learn from them? <laughs> Both ways. It's like a two way two way learning, yeah. But we'll have all this and more today on the morning run. So stay with us, BFM eighty nine point nine. Steve Winwood with Higher Love. You're listening to The Morning Run with Shazana Mokhtar and Wong Shaoning. It is now 6.08 in the morning. Uh, we are taking a look at this article from the Wall Street Journal. In this age of social media, seeking customer service by tweeting or posting on your platform of choice has become the norm. And we've been seeing this a lot with U.S. airlines as economies reopen. Even here, reopen. by the way. Even here, but this article from the Wall Street Journal is using U.S. airlines as their example, especially as we've seen a lot of flights delayed or flights cancelled um, during the long weekend, Memorial Day weekend. I think we saw similar things during Hari Raya when flights were cancelled or delayed for long hours. So customers complain online in order to get their travel problems sorted out. Uh, we've seen a lot of that. Uh, but this article in the Wall Street Journal, as mentioned, written by, um, let me see, who is the author of this article? Written by Jacob Passy. He goes behind the scenes of social media teams of all the companies in and kind of details how they look into it. So his um, article title is Before You Rage Tweet at Your Airline. Just just read this first, you know, get give so you can get an idea of what they're going through um, as as you know as the day unfolds and as they see receive a lot of probably angry tweets about problems that have cropped up. 
Yeah, because I think at the back of this is Jacob highlighting one particular tweet. And I think I want to read it out because it's kind of semi-funny. And I and I think it's also where we should put ourselves in the shoes of the poor person that's responding to probably thousands of these tweets, right? And it's from Delta, which is one of America's leading airlines. And this person, Edo, tweeted in saying, waiting for Daisy at Delta to make things right. What is happening? Ha- you know, Delta. And then Del- this Delta salesperson or customer service person says, can you calm down and allow me some time to work, please? <laughs> and he probably, this Delta's customer service probably has been like looking at all these tweets, right? Hundreds of them and probably thinking, How, what can I do? What can I really, really do when flights are delayed? Uh, there's sometimes, some things are just beyond my control and I'm just one person in this food chain of, of employees trying to make things better. So I think the point, when I read this, I, I thought to myself, you know, sometimes, yeah, do I really want to be this difficult customer? I mean, yes, I, don't get me wrong. I've given you money. I expect a certain level of service and a product to be delivered to me. And yes, when it doesn't happen, I I have the right, because we, we've entered into a contract, actually, to have this service delivered to me in, a, in the right manner. So if it, it's a delay, you know, explain it to me. Be upfront. I want to know. I want to know when my problem will be resolved. But sometimes I realize the person who is responding to me actually doesn't have an answer. And how much should I push them around for? You know, is there a better way to complain? And is tweets the only place that I should go and bring my grievances to? I mean, technically, there should always be a channel to convey any grievances or to uh, convey complaints or questions to a a company or organization, right? Hmm. But social media has become um, the like a popular option simply because of all the eyeballs on it and the pressure that that puts on companies. So when somebody publicly tweets a complaint and tags that company, a lot of other people will also see that and, and sort of tag that company as well and mm. just pile on the pressure and go, hey, Delta, as an example, you know, take a look at this. Why aren't you solving this? And and that um, that kinds of gives the, uh, com- the, com- the person who complains the feeling that their complaint will be bumped up the attention ladder in yeah. a way. And apparently how you complain also makes a difference, right? So it's not just like a, I'm unhappy. Do something about it, Delta. No, it's I'm unhappy because A, B, C, D happened to me. And you be specific about it. My flight was delayed by four hours. I was supposed to have a con- you know another flight from wherever and I missed that connection. You know, what, what's happening now? Please update me, apparently. So even how you complain makes a difference. So it's the tweets should not just be... Uh, an excuse to to rage your frustration. You 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 want a resolution, right? So you want the, the other person on the other side can only help you if they know what are the specifics of your problem. And I think this even goes down to when you you're writing in those old fashioned letters once upon a time or an email, right? And you want a response. So it's not so much about I'm unhappy. You can start that conversation that way. But then you need to get to the point of why you're unhappy. The irony of it is the rage um, sells on social media, yeah, it right? Does, it does, It goes viral. See an angry tweet and it, th- these are the ones that tend to go viral. These are the ones that tend to get the most attention. So there is a weird dynamic involved here. And the idea is we want to try and calm down that rage so that it can actually get resolved in a way that doesn't have to traumatize all the parties involved, you know? But tell us what you think. Have you had success in tweeting or posting on social media about a particular complaint and had your problem resolved? Uh, what are some of the, I guess, uh, more memorable uh, 
tweet complaints that you've seen, um, you can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Tell us your thoughts. Uh, it's 6.13 in the morning. We're heading into some messages. And when we come back, we're going to discuss our complicated relationship with food and food waste. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Smashing Pumpkins with 1979. You're listening to The Morning Run with Shazana and Xiaoning. It's 6.19 in the morning on June the 8th, a Wednesday. And we're looking at the story coming out of Malaysia Kini. As, not Malaysia Kini, I'm sorry, Malaysian Insight. So as Malaysians, we love food, but this passion comes with a dark side. Now, according to the Solid Waste Management and Public Cleansing Corporation, or SW Corp, Malaysians produced 17,000 tons of food waste daily in 2021. Just so you have a picture, this is enough food waste to fill seven Olympic-sized swimming pools. So this story about food waste comes up every year when SW Corp launches its Value Food No Waste campaign, which I believe is now into its seventh year. So this is still a perennial issue. Malaysians still continue to waste a lot of, of food Unnecessarily, Yeah, and this is amidst the backdrop of us complaining about the rising cost of food. And I think, let's be honest, <laughs> cost of food definitely has gone up incredibly in the last two years. So if you take 50 ringgit to the supermarket in 2020, you would notice that you could buy a lot more than what you can buy today in 2022. Even if you were trying to be as careful a shopper as you could be. And everything, everything, whether it's chicken to milk to your rice, okay, which is a control item, but certain rice, you know, if you buy, like, let's say, non-control item prices has gone up. Cooking oil, you could buy it in the past. Under, if you didn't buy the control item as well, has also, of course, gone up. There's hardly any item in the supermarket that hasn't gone up. So maybe when we think about food waste, we should ask ourselves, how do we manage this? Are we guilty of throwing away too much? And maybe we should look at what we buy as a means of helping to control our weekly shopping budget. So putting that dollar sign on the food, right? Yeah. Just imagine that the food, if you throw it away, it's actually five ringgit worth of broccoli, or I'm not sure how much broccoli costs because I don't like it. But you know, don't or even it. like sawi, you know, like kangkong, it has gone up so much, right? Um, and then you tell yourself, okay, you bought it on Monday, and then by Wednesday or Thursday, it doesn't look very good anymore, and then you, you bin it. That's just a waste, isn't it, to begin with? Even though, let's say, the vegetable itself didn't cost you that much. It was five ringgit, six ringgit. But it's still five, six ringgit thrown away. And it's and it's, um, and it's sawi that could have gone to someone else who would have made use of it, in a way. Um, so yeah, all these things, hopefully we are thinking about it more as we go grocery shopping amid this uh, rise in, in food prices. Um, but I guess, how else do you think, what are other good tips to keep in mind um, to avoid food waste? I know you have a big uh, bugbear when it comes to buffets, Xiaoning? Yeah, because you walk around, right? Okay, firstly, the buffets in Malaysia, if you're talking about those five-star hotels, wow, eye-watering prices, right? When you pay for it, uh, usually they are above 100 ringgit. Okay, minimum, minimum. This is five-star, of course. And you're walking around uh, tables and you notice that people hardly eat what they've taken. They take two bites and then they leave the rest. Maybe it's truly bad. Sometimes hotel food, not always the best. That's that's honestly the, the case. Sometimes it is just good, but people are just greedy. So they take more than they think they can finish. And you see mountains of it, you know, being not consumed. And I want, and I look at it and I think, wow, so kasian, you know. I mean, like, could, could this food be put to better use? Mm -hmm. And I, I also see that even... Like even during like 
uh, Ramadan periods when, you know, at, at food fairs or bazaars, a lot of waste. It's a perennial issue. It's And it's ironic given that Ramadan is the month of moderation and we're supposed mm. to refrain from eating. But then at the same time in evenings when we break fast, there does tend to be um, a veritable detritus of, you know, not eat food that's not eaten simply because you're your eyes were bigger than your stomach and you realize later on that you can't really fit all that food into your stomach. Yeah, so I wonder whether in the first place we should just ask ourselves, realistically, how much can you eat? And then, okay, that's one thing. So that's you as a person as a person making that choice of not taking too much that you need. Now, and also even when you go grocery shopping, not over shopping and having a simple plan in place whereby you write a list of the things that you really need versus shopping in terms of just indulging yourself and then just like letting go in the supermarket and having in a first in, uh, you know, last in, first out kind of basis in terms of like your grocery shopping, your fresh food. So whatever you bought latest in the week or, you know, uh, earliest in the week, consume that first. Don't just pick stuff out of the, the, the fridge that, you know, I feel like cooking this, but actually it came in yesterday versus the item that you bought earlier in the week. So simple things like that make a difference. Having a list on your fridge of what items you have. And I have this friend who does it and every time she, she finishes it, she cancels it out, which I think is a really good way of managing what you have in the fridge, right? Mm. And the family does it. So if they take two tomatoes, they cancel it out. If they take the cucumber, they cancel it out. So everybody knows, oh, in the fridge, there is still these items. Inventory management. And on Friday, they cook what they call the clear the fridge meal. (laughs) So whatever is in there, it will be dinner. And they will, and it's a fun game because you you've got like sometimes really odd things, and somehow it becomes a meal. What a great way yeah. to make to make cooking imaginative while also reducing food waste. Yeah, so that's one thing. And then I think maybe we should start looking at re like you know if you're a company or your hotel or your business and you've got all these excess items at the end of the day, which are perfectly fine, but you can't sell it. Is there a better way to for it to go to the people that need it? Exactly. Agreed. How do you manage this um, supply chain issue? How do you make sure that food um, can be channeled to places that uh, that are needy yeah. without having to throw that away? Um, tell us what you think. How should we handle food waste? Do you have tips to better manage um, the food that you buy, perhaps? Uh, you can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We're heading into the 6.30am News Bulletin now and we'll be back after with a look at global headlines. Here's Shade with Smooth Operator to take you to the the bulleted BFM 89.9. That was Human League with Don't You Want Me. It's got me and Xiao Ning uh, boogieing in the studio. I'm I sorry, love, 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 love that song, you know. I just think it's so clever <laughs> because it's like a, a conversation between two unhappy people who have clearly kind of ended their relationship. And it's like, he said, she said in a song. And very danceable too. Uh, I'm Shazana Mokhtar, by the way. That was Wang Xiaoning. We're the morning run. 6.41 in the morning. We're taking a look at what's making headlines around the world. Can I start with a bit of a frivolous uh, story here? And this is coming from Australia. So the BBC reports that uh, KFC Australia has been forced to put cabbage in its burgers instead of lettuce because there is a shortage of lettuce going on. And the first thought that came to my mind was, do I rightly know the difference between cabbage and lettuce? They're I both- rolled my eyes at you all, right? Because it wasn't just you who asked this question. It was also our producer, Simbi Boon. They're green, they're crunchy, and same, same, like, no? Guys, there's a big difference between the two vegetables. But, 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 
let's focus on what's really important. It's the chicken between the two pieces of bread, right? <laughs> as long as there's chicken, it's okay. You can put whatever greenery you want outside there. But this is just another example of how supply chain for food has been disrupted. Um, for, for Australia, it's because I believe there is a drought going on. Um, is it a drought? It, there's a reason why they can't get a supply of, of lettuce at the moment and hence the turn, turning to cabbage. Wasn't there one point where, uh, was it McDonald's was restricting the size of the fries that you could buy in Japan because you couldn't get the potatoes either. That's right. So I, I guess what ha- is happening is, like you say, supply chains are being disrupted. People have to make these adjustments. Whether or not you like, you know, cabbage to us, well, too bad. I stand corrected. It's not a drought. It was floods. The floods in Australia that destroyed lettuce crops. So hence, uh, they're seeing a, a shortage of lettuce at the moment. What else has caught your eye this morning, Shaoning? I've got a Bloomberg story in front of me and, uh, you know, it's about uh, the, the crash of the tech darlings, all these work-from-home champions once upon a time, and who has it impacted the most. And that is, of course, what was or still is in a way uh, the darling of fund management, Cathy Wood, and her ARK Investments. So Bloomberg has highlighted that she, that the fund, investment management, Cathy Wood's ARK Investment Management, is suffering a steeper drop in assets than almost any other U.S. exchange-traded fund issuer this year. So she has $15.3 billion U.S. dollars across nine ETFs, and she's seeing a 48% decrease from the start of the year. As we know, she is a big proponent of companies like Tesla, anything technology, anything new. And of course, NASDAQ. Uh, is down 22% on the year-to-date basis. But clearly, she's underperforming even this benchmark. I mean, I think uh, she came into the scene um, with this focus on innovation and tech, and it did really well, um, especially during the pandemic with the boom time, everyone focusing on these stocks. But that also drove up the valuations. It Mm. went crazy growth. Um, and now that we're kind of coming back down to earth, uh, it, it is seeing it is seeing the consequences of that. What is unusual about this is that if it was a typical fund house, I can tell you there would be a mass exodus, there would be a mass outflow of funds. But because she's almost a rock star in the fund management world, she, and she's been, you know, her company is very vocal on Twitter, she participates a lot in social media, she's actually managed to hang on to the funds at the moment. Uh, we'll see how her performance changes throughout the year, whether technology continues to be the sector that people avoid, especially as interest rates go up, because there's a lot more attention to all these high valuation companies, high growth companies, can they actually deliver what you know the investors originally expected? And let me tell you, people do not want to be disappointed. That's for sure. Absolutely. Especially when it comes to money matters. Yeah. Mm. Um, another story that caught my eye this morning comes, comes out of Brussels. So regulators in Brussels have agreed um, to, for, to a deal that will force companies uh, to use a common charger for smartphones and laptop computers. Oh, finally. You know, when I went on holiday, I had like three different chargers in my bag. <laughs> and, you know, it would be great, right? And then, okay, I'll, I won't name the company, but you know that even one company keeps changing the... The, the charger head. So you've got one for this device, you've got one for the another device. Hello, it's the same brand. Why do you do this to us? That is very true. Although you, although this uh, new law will only come into effect in 2024, so there is still Can some time. Can it be time. global, please? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I have mixed feelings about this because I understand the rationale for it. In a way, it's to counter electronic waste. So if it's just one type of charger being produced, then exactly. that would definitely reduce the waste going on. Um, and 
but it's taken 10 years to come to this decision. So Why do we take so long to come to common sense decisions? The, well, hmm. the EU has been grappling with this issue for a very long time. So I suppose it's I, I'm, I'm curious to see how different um, how different manufacturers take this news. Yeah. Will they will they just take this EU law and they just implement it globally? Or will it be really the case where only if you buy this gadget in Europe, then yes, you'll get this common charger or will it be rolled out? The whole Something world. to keep an eye on, exactly. 6.46 in the morning, we're heading into some messages. And when we come back, we're going to take a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. Richard Hawley with Tonight the Streets Are Ours. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Wong Xiaoning. 6.50 in the morning, 6.51 now. It's uh, Wednesday, the 8th of June. We're taking a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. What do you have? in front of you, Shaoning? Well, um, the headline on the star is actually no shortage of medicines. I think earlier on there was a lot of uh, uh, reporting on whether this was the case because apparently you couldn't get your regular cough syrup or vitamin C. So our our health minister basically says um, that the recent shortage of some medicines in pharmacies and private clinics is being managed and that public hospitals and clinics have sufficient supply to treat all illnesses. So the health minister has come out, Kari Jamaluddin, to reassure that at government hospitals, medicines are in supply, that there's no worry of a shortage, as you said. Mm. Um, and this is, a, I mean, I can I can see why this would cause a lot of concern among people. Medicines are so important, especially those that you need to take daily. Yes. If you know that a shortage is coming, I can totally understand the urge to panic buy or to or to hoard. hoard. But, uh, but the government has assured that uh, the supplies are there. And um, I think the MMA or the AP Association of Private Hospitals uh, has also said the shortage was not for all medicines mm. um, and there was sufficient stock for life-threatening conditions. So those who I suppose have more chronic conditions that rely on medicines, those are still very much in supply. Yeah, another thing that has caught my eye on this HCO morning breathe is actually Tokpa, our minister, uh, economy minister. He basically said in a Bloomberg interview, in this report in the age, that Malaysia has begun work on replacing the blanket petrol and cooking oil subsidies with a more targeted approach as the government tries to manage the cost of living. Of course, we've, we've had many discussions on this on our show, right? Whether it works because the the man driving the Porsche 911 is also enjoying Ron 95 uh, compared to the person driving the MyV. Although I've been told, please don't pump Ron 95 into your Porsche. <laughs> it actually needs at least Ron 97. But I don't know, maybe some people still do. Uh, and it, that we need an overhaul because it is a drain on our fiscal um, situation at the moment. But the devil's really in the details. You, they, We've heard this many times over the years. We want to introduce targeted uh, subsidies, but how does that look like? What's the mechanism mm. for doing it? Can it really be effective? Those are all things that need to be fleshed out beyond just the whole, we're looking at targeted sub subsidies. No, no. I mean, it has to be, uh, okay, from the savings that you would make from the targeted subsidies, which is costing the government, according to our Prime Minister, as much as $71 billion this year, um, that this money that we save, or at least portions of it, can be given to the people who need it, whether in the form of cash handouts. I'm curious. So that mechanism has to have has to happen simultaneously. It's not like you suddenly stop these subsidies, right? But you also need to relook really at reaching out to those who need it, whether it is the B40 or even below. You know, like those the the what you call the hardcore poor. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And speaking of money, looking at the New Straits Times front headline, uh, the headline reads, Money for Nothing. And this is about the testimony of former Chief Secretary to the government, Tan Sri Mohamad Sidiq Hassan, about his involvement um, with the 1MDB. With 1MDB. Um, he was essentially appointed uh, to an advisory board at 1MDB and received um, 30,000 ringgit a month. Am I right? 30,000 yes, a 30, month? Yes, 30,000 a month. Beginning which was then- 2010. I think it was then subsequently reduced to 10,000. Uh, he, of course, said, I paid all the tax on it. I declared it to IRB. Well, thank you very much. Uh, but the headline in the star is quite interesting. It's the same story. Najib said, I was not earning enough. Aha. Uh-huh. So, uh, again, <laughs> so he was appointed to this advisory board to presumably uh, earn more. But uh, Okay, I don't earn enough. Who do I send this memo to? Which board would you like to be part of, right? Which advisory board would you like to be part of? But the point is, he was part of this advisory board and he did not perform any duties um, as far as we know, as far as he said. There were no meetings called. There was nothing discussed within that advisory board. But um, he proceeded, he continued to receive um, significant amounts of money for being part of that board. Mm -hmm. Um, Raises a lot of questions about uh, the kinds of culture and attitude uh, that allowed these arrangements to exist for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, what, where was the corporate governance, right? And, you know, it, it's it's interesting because later on at uh, 7.45, we're going to speak to someone, Ira, from Ideas about why corruption. Why should we pay attention to corruption? What are the consequences of it to all of us as individuals? What does it mean when we allow it to happen? And I guess what does it look like, right? Because something on the surface that seems like an innocent arrangement, but what exactly is it feeding into in the broader picture? Yes, because it can be more than just a bribe, right? We should look at corruption even in a form of like favoritism. Are we allowing one company to have a contract over another company? Um, You know, should there be a better way of managing all this in terms of procurement? Well, we'll be discussing this again later on in the show. It's 6 56 in the morning. We're heading into the 7 a.m. news bulletin now. And then after that, we'll check out how global markets closed overnight. Taking you to the news is Don't Bring Me Down by Electric Light Orchestra. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.